Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Okay. Well, the amazing book of Jeremiah, and we're calling it Weeping for a Nation. And today and this week, we've been weeping for another nation, haven't we? Ukraine. And uh, we're going to talk about that in just a moment, a little more, but... uh, I, one of my goals here is I'm going to try to get through this lesson and, and talk about what, the, I, I just feel like the Lord has so perfectly fit this moment as everything that's going on uh, in, in the world, and with Jeremiah chapter 32, I think it so fits um, what God wants us to do as believers in this moment. So, we're going to talk about that here, but... Um, let me begin here. What, what I'd like to do is end quick, end uh, early, so that five, about five minutes early, so that at the very end we can just have a quick time of prayer for Joel and Lorianne Matchek, especially as they're doing mission work in Ukraine. We'll be giving a little bit more detail about that in the service, but, uh, but Ukraine, the whole situation in general. I do want to pray and ask God to, to work in that. Here's how I want to begin, though. Let me ask you this question. What does real faith mean? look like? Faith has a look. Faith without works is dead. So there is, faith looks like something. What does real faith look like? We're going to see today that sometimes real, genuine faith looks like recklessness. It looks like doing the exact opposite of what all the world and good sense would tell you to do. Like an American couple going to minister to the people of Ukraine when all the other Americans are leaving. You might remember Joel standing in this very room and talking just uh, a little over a month ago and talking about the whole situation and and, uh, making the decision we need to go back even at this hour to be a blessing. Some might say that is a foolish decision and reckless, but I know Joel would say, no, I'm just being obedient to what the Lord has told me to do. Reminds me of Hudson Taylor, who continued to keep going back into China over and over again and minister, even when the nation's politics had changed and people were actually hunting and killing missionaries. It had gotten so bad that, I mean, they were against foreigners there in China, but it had gotten to the point where, especially missionaries, they were even taking them out. Or Paul, the Apostle Paul, who who was threatened, stoned, and, uh, and yet still kept preaching the gospel in city after city after they told him, don't do it, or Peter even. This is sometimes what faith looks like, obedience to God no matter the cost. And by the way, as I mentioned, we're going to be praying for them here at the end. But, but first, let me give this lesson, I think, again, that so perfectly fits this hour. I was just thanking the Lord all week for putting me in this scripture as we face all these things. We're going to see Jeremiah was commanded by God in this chapter to do something that is absolutely crazy from human perspective in any good sense. And by being obedient, though, he set an example for us of real faith. And in so doing, he proved 
once again that God's word is always right. And you always do what God says, no matter the cost, and God's word is trustworthy. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 1, here we go. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. Now here we are, only one year from the final and complete destruction of Jerusalem. It's the 10th year of Zedekiah, and Zedekiah is the, was the last of the kings of Judah, and, his, and in the 11th year of his reign is when Jerusalem fell. So now we're in the 10th year, it says right here. So that's our time marker. One year, or probably less than a year, and this uh, Jerusalem is going to fall. This, if you will, is Custer's last stand, as we're going to see in verse 2. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. So we find out two things in this verse. Number one, Jerusalem is being besieged at this very moment. So uh, Babylon is outside with their enormous army. They're starving the people out. And not only are they starving them out, but what happens in a siege is that you demoralize the enemy. And we find out later in the chapter that the Babylonians have already built up a, some wall ramps and they were about to invade. They had already built these ramps up the wall. Many of the people in previous years had already been carted off. The best and the brightest and, and all of that had already been taken to Babylon. And so really the people that are there left uh, in the city, even the outskirts, had already been taken over. Now it's just Jerusalem, the city proper. And anybody within the walls, it's only a matter of time. Babylon is, is going to come in. This is Jerusalem's last stand. That's what we find out there. And then the second thing we find out is that Jeru or Jeremiah himself is in prison in the castle, in the king's castle. So Jeremiah is in double prison here. The Babylonians have him shut in, jailed, if you will, within the walls. And then the king has him jailed within the castle. Now, why would you throw a nice preacher in jail? <laughs> he was such a nice guy. Verse 3, for Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up. And that's what he really wanted, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city, this is Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah's words, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. And shall speak with him mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord. Though ye fight with the Chaldeans, ye shall not prosper. So think about this. Morale was very low. Food was low. Uh, the siege was happening. And Jeremiah is coming, coming along, and he's telling the king, and he's telling everybody, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. This is the, the king's going down. The whole nation's going down. This is a judgment from God. God is putting this on the nation. So from the king's perspective and from other people's perspective, what Jeremiah was talking about was close to treason. Certainly uh, discouraging their fight. 
But from Jeremiah's perspective, what he was giving and what he was saying was simply the word of God. That's all he was doing. I'm just delivering the word of God. That's it. Now notice this real quick as as we're thinking about this in our own context here today in America. This, This preacher was canceled and even jailed in a nation which was founded on the word of God. This nation was founded on the Bible. Reminds me of so much of what we face today. We're losing uh, our, uh, our bearings in America. No one, it seems, wants to hear the negative parts of, the, of God's word. People love the positive parts of God's word, but they don't want to hear the negative parts. They would love to domesticate the Bible and make it palatable for the next generation. But that's, and that's why, just a real quick shot here, that's why I, I am a, quite concerned about all these different new translations coming out all the time in English. It's, it's, a, it's a little scary. It's, it's, in some ways, it could very much domesticate and soften the Bible's blow. But if, we have to remember that if the negative parts are not true, then neither are the positive parts. You, then you're left with nothing. And there's coming a day when I believe when America's pastors, America's pastors' words will be so under the microscope, like they are in China and Russia, by the way, among other places. And all it would take is a Putin-like leader with some ambition and power, and they will begin locking us up for inciting hate, demoralizing the people, treason, etc., etc. We're going against the morale of the people. But remember... This, even though Jeremiah is locked up in prison, the word of God is not bound. (laughs) Even in the worst situation you can imagine, God is still speaking and still working. He's still doing his work through his word. God may not let Jeremiah out of prison quite yet. And that's where it gets a little interesting. God, why wouldn't you just let Jeremiah out of prison? No, God doesn't want that quite yet because God has a bigger plan. And, he, and right now we're going to see that one of the plans is to show that God's word is, is always trustworthy and to use Jeremiah in this moment as an example of faith. To anybody who would ever read this, this story of Jeremiah in prison, and he has to be in prison for us to get the full weight of what is about to happen. But the story of Jeremiah in prison and what he's about to do is forever a faith lesson to anyone who would ever read this or think about this story. And here's the story. It's the worst real estate deal that's ever been done in Israel. All right, verse number six. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So... Hanamiel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. By the way, that last phrase is just an encouraging phrase. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. 
Jeremiah even sometimes had that question that we have. Is this the word of the Lord? Is this, is this from the Lord? And he felt that same way. And, but this he knew. God told him ahead of time what would happen, and it happened. This I know is from the word of the Lord. But let's just think about this story here for just a minute. This is the story of old cousin Hanamiel. The family member that everyone avo- avoids at the family meetings, you know, or the family parties. He's the, he's the family member that comes and slaps you on the back and always has a business proposal for you. He, he, he offers a piece of property. He goes into the prison where Jeremiah is. Jeremiah, I got a piece of property in our hometown, Anathoth. And that, by, that was Jeremiah's hometown. I've got a piece of property here that I want you to buy. Now he says, Jeremiah, you have redeemer's rights to this, meaning by God's law in Leviticus, uh, the next of kin should be the one to buy the property if someone wants to sell. It was God's plan that the, in the land of Israel that this land would stay in, the, in family lines. But he also, uh, Jeremiah, had the right to refuse that and pass it on to the next of kin. And refusing the offer would make logical sense. No one in their right mind could imagine a worse time to buy land. This is the worst time to buy a piece of land. There's several reasons. First of all, the enemy has already taken that land. It's outside of Jerusalem. Uh, Those lands outside of Jerusalem have already been conquered. They mean nothing to anybody, really. The Babylonians have that. So it's inevitable that if you own it and your Israeli title deed to that land means nothing to the Babylonians. Second, Jeremiah is in prison. He can't go farm the land or do anything with it. He's stuck in jail. Third, he may not even live through this. Uh, They're besieging the land. It's it's coming in. He's in prison. Who knows what's going to happen next? This this is the absolute word. If he was talking to his real estate agent, his real estate agent would say, no, do not buy. And let's talk about, real quick, the worst prison visitor that you've ever seen, Jeremiah's cousin. What a guy. This guy comes in at this time in Jeremiah's life. Come on. He doesn't pray with him. He doesn't encourage Jeremiah. He just says, hey, buy this land, Jeremiah. So let's be clear on this. The point here is this was complete nonsense from the world's point of view. Complete nonsense. And this is why God told Jeremiah before his cousin came in that this was gonna happen. Because Jeremiah even said, then I know this is the word of the Lord. In other words, I never would have done this land deal had it not been God told me that this was gonna happen. Because this is stupid. But here is what Jeremiah had learned that the people of Judah had obviously not learned. And that is, if God says, listen, if God says to do something, then you do it because you know it will make sense someday. You do it because someday God's going to make all of it come together. All of these principles in his word that we read about day after day and week after week, they're there for a reason. Whether your family or your psychologist thinks so or not. It makes sense to God. Elaine and I have had people in our lives that look at, look at us weird for having so many children. Still do. But this week, uh, the Osten family, who are, Todd and Angela, who come, and 
they just had another baby in their family, sweet couple. And they've talked about, personally, just with us, just kind of the pushback of some of the people in their own life about having so many children. Why are you Christians so reckless having all these kids in this kind of environment? I was thinking this week about missionary John Allen Cho, that American missionary in 2018 who was a young man who was killed by the Sentinelese, the self-isolated, uncontacted tribe, you know, off of the coast of India. He went to this uncontacted tribe to try to lead them to Jesus, and he was killed. And I remember just all the reports and all the people saying, what kind of a, a crazy person, uh, s- just silliness for him to go in there, and, he, and he's gonna bring them all kinds of diseases and, and everything else. It's horrible for you to go mess with their tribe. And he said, no, I wanna, I wanna tell them about Jesus. And he was killed for doing it. As I mentioned, Hudson Taylor, he got so much flack for carrying on and doing the work in the middle of political turmoil. And as we mentioned, Joel and Ann right now facing so much. Some people might think, why are you there? It's craziness. But you know, even all the Christians living today counterculturally in America, getting married without living together, that's weird. It is. There's more people who do it than don't now. Getting ma- and by the way, all the stats say how stupid that is. So, but, they, but to them it's weird. Soul winning, that's weird. Giving up your nights and weekends to go to church and serve people, that's weird. Giving up pleasures of sin for a wholesome life, that's weird. Giving the tithe, (laughs) now that is weird. That's super weird. What's wrong with you people? What is wrong with you people? It makes no logical sense. It makes no sense to to the human mind. There's only one explanation for what these crazy people are doing. They do these things because of faith. Because they believe what the word of God has said to do. And we just keep on doing it. It's the only reason. For Jeremiah, the only reason he buys this land is because God told him to do it. It's faith in action. It's faith, it's obedience by faith. Now look at his faith, verse 9. We're going to roll through several of these these verses. And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. Now, by the way, we don't know how much that is in relation to everything. However, I will say, one thing I read is that Abraham purchased something for around the same price uh, in his time. And and Abraham was far better. before this, and so this was a probably a very, very, very cheap uh, <laughs> purchase because the, the land meant nothing. I mean, the land was just absolutely uh, horrible in price. In, in verse 10, and I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open, and I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue many days. 
For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. He did this whole business deal like normal in a very un unusual time. He still said, you know what, let's just buy the land. By the way, it shows their system of land purchases here. Similar in principle to ours today. You, he got it fully legal. He had all the witnesses, everything stamped, everything recorded properly. And even though the, the legal system in Israel was about to be completely demolished. But here's a question for us. Do you have faith to act on God's word even, even if it won't be fulfilled until you're gone? You see, even if you don't get to see the answer here on earth. Jeremiah had no way of knowing when he, he knew God said 70 years will be back, but he's buying this land. He may never get to use it in his lifetime, and yet he still obeyed. Will you obey even if you never get to see the answer yourself here on this earth? Here was God's promise in verse 15. Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. That's the word from the Lord that's supposed to break through every fear for the people that would read this. You're, you're stuck in captivity in Babylon? We'll read what Jeremiah said. Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again. Hold on. And I, although it seems absolutely impossible, 70 years from now, you, it will happen. I was kind of thinking about this, and they found those clay jars, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls in those clay jars and, uh, years ago. I wonder if this jar is still out there somewhere, and somebody might one day find this land purchase that Jeremiah did. But I wonder if Baruch, his, his friend there, popped a little, that little note inside the jar. Verse 15, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed. He said, you know, the only reason my, my buddy bought this is because someday it's going to happen. But the whole point of all this was that God was going to bring the people back. That's the whole point of this whole situation. It was never about the money it was never about the business deal. It was all about God's promise. Jeremiah, take a step of faith, showing everybody that you are going to be back and lands will be possessed again one day. And it's just like the thing that God has asked you to do is not about the thing itself always, but it's more about whether or not you're going to obey the Lord. Whether or not you or I are just going to do what God says. It's about faith-filled obedience and proving that God's word is always trustworthy and always right. Again, the Bible says faith without works is dead. A workless faith is a lifeless faith. There's no, if there's no action behind our faith, it's all just talk. But there's one more thing a Christian will do after he or she is, has acted by faith on a word from the Lord. And it's exactly what Jeremiah does next when he's kind of just confused about the whole situation. Here's what he does next. He prays. And that's what you and I will do sometimes in life when there's something that happens, we act, we do what God tells us to do and we're just doing it because he says to do it and everybody, my neighbors, my family telling me not to do it, but I know I need to do it. And that is we pray. We pray like crazy. Jeremiah had obeyed with a good heart, but after Hanamiel left the room, the deal was done. Jeremiah was sitting there baffled. He does, it, he, he does what any Christian does when you're going against this, the logic and a, people's opinions. But to me, what this is, is the prayer of a puzzled prophet. 
And I think he just needs, in this prayer, as we go through it real quick, I just want to show you that I believe what he needs is just a word of confirmation from the Lord. We'll see at the end there's no real request here. Maybe God cuts him off before he gets to the request, I don't know. But he, he, he kind of just pours out his heart before the Lord about the situation. He just needs a confirmation, I think. He starts with a deep cry of the soul. A deep cry of the soul. Verse 16, now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Four prayers, there's four prayers in Jeremiah that begin with ah. Ah, Lord God. Number one is Jeremiah's initial calling in chapter one. This calling that just looked too large for him. Ah. Then the announcement of invasion from the enemy in chapter four. He says, ah, Lord God, the, the, the enemy is coming. And then in, verse, in chapter 14, when other prophets were speaking against him, he says, ah, Lord, I'm all alone. And then here, when he's puzzled and not sure what God is up to. Ah, Lord God. Ah, it's a, it's a cry from the soul when you don't really know what to say. It's like Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, where the Holy Spirit helps us pray. And we don't know what to say. We don't have the words, not sure. And Jeremiah's not sure about this whole situation. I don't know what to say, Lord. I need the Holy Spirit just to help me. And then Jeremiah starts then by appealing to God's creative power. And that's a great place to start. God who has created all things. You know, God has, if you start thinking about the things God has created, God who has created the entire cosmos. He's created the perfectly ordered stars. He's, and he's created an earth perfectly fit for life. He created these massive trees that we see, the majestic mountains, the vast oceans with all of its creatures inside of it, the Grand Canyon, the intricate human body, etc., etc., etc. If he can create these things, then this has great implications on our situation. Whatever we're praying about, whatever we're bringing to him. There's this reverence for God's omnipotence. And he says it. Lord, there is nothing too hard for thee. There is nothing too hard for thee. And that's the theme of this prayer. There is nothing too hard for thee. And that's what we need to keep in our minds as we pray for the impossible. And pray for things that are, that are unchangeable to us. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. He is omnipotent God. About a hundred, now think about this. God, Jeremiah says, nothing is too hard for thee. About 150 years prior to this prayer, in Jerusalem, the Assyri- there was a different group sieging the city. It was the Assyrians. And they, were, they had a siege and they had uh, hundreds of thousands of troops outside the walls. And they prayed and King Hezekiah prayed. And that night, God sent out one angel and killed 185,000 enemy soldiers. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. God could easily end this. But Jeremiah says, Lord, nothing's too hard for you. And I understand that and I know that. And then Jeremiah gives a praise for God's love, justice, and omniscience. Verse 18. 
Thou, Lord, showest loving kindness unto thousands. This is a model prayer here for us. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts. By the way, again, that word host means angel armies. Every time you see it, the Lord of armies is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men. To give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God is very much involved in the affairs of man. We don't believe in deism. He is omniscient, he says here, meaning he knows everything. Thine eyes are upon all the ways of the sons of men. He knows every little thing that happens all over the globe. He is a God of mercy and a God of justice, it says in verse 18, that we see his loving kindness. And then in verse 19, he gives to everyone according to his ways. He's just. He's merciful and he's just. He's merciful and yet he's just. The progressive Christians can't reconcile these two things. They only want a God who loves. But you can't have one without the other. For God to be loving, he must punish evil. So Jeremiah then starts to rehearse the details of God's amazing acts of powerful deliverance. By the way, that's a powerful way to pray. Start rehearsing the things God's done. It reminds us that, what we're, talk, that we're talking to a God who not only can do what we're asking him to do, but has done this before. Ver, verse 20, a review of God's past deliverance here, which, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt even unto this day, and in Israel, and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day, and has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror. And has given them this land, which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and possessed it, but they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou hast commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Jeremiah is reminding himself and telling God how good he has been. In his mercy, God redeemed the people out of Egypt. He poured out love again and again and again in the wilderness and then brought them into a beautiful land of their own. In his love, he gave them a law that was rooted in love, a love for God and love for others. And if they would just abide by this, it would be a beautiful place. This law would protect each person's life and their property and then keep them close to God. But the people disobeyed. And in God's justice, he was forced to bring judgments. And this is what Jeremiah was now living in. And Jeremiah says, now here we are. And the people have turned their backs on a good God, and now they're being judged for it. And then a presentation of the current facts. Behold, the mounts there come up unto the city to take it, and the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They're right outside the wall now, Lord. They've built up the ramps. It's about to happen. The fight against it because of the sword and the famine and the pestilence and what thou hast spoken has come to pass and behold, thou seest it. You know everything that's going on. And then Jeremiah just then seems to be puzzled and needing a word from the Lord here as he brings up this puzzling command that God gave him. Verse 25, and thou hast said unto me in the midst of all this, you said to me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money. And take witnesses. 
for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Notice again, there's no actual request here in this prayer. It's just an abrupt ending right here. It's almost to me as if God, or Jeremiah is saying, God, I'm gonna keep on obeying you no matter what, but I just don't get it. This is strange. Or maybe he couldn't even finish and God just breaks in. Because what God speaks next, it's God begins with the absolute best word that we could hear this morning. And it's something Jeremiah needed to hear again and again. Here it is, verse 26 and 27. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying this. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? A rhetorical question from the God of the universe. This question echoed what Jeremiah had already said at the beginning of his prayer. It's like God is saying, yes, Jeremiah, believe what you already know. Believe now what you already know. There is nothing too hard for me, so believe it. Literally, is anything too difficult or too wonderful for me? God asked the same question to Abraham after Sarah laughed. Is anything too hard for God? The obvious answer is no. God can cause a 90-year-old woman to conceive. God can bring his people back to the land in the midst of an impossible situation that's never happened before. God could bring them back from Babylon. And God can work in our situation today too. God asks all of us the question, and I think what what Philip Ryken said this, many believers trust that God can do all things. They believe in the power of God to save sinners. But when it comes to their own affairs, they doubt the reality of God's omnipotence. And I find that to be true sometimes in my own faith. It takes dips. And sometimes I wonder, Lord, can you, can you work on this? Will you do anything here? But God asks the question, is there anything too hard for me? Whatever is at the top of your prayer list right now, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? When there are no words and we're puzzled, This is our word. God can do the impossible. That's it. What more can be said than that, right? God can do the impossible. As we end here today, I would just like to ask three or four of you together in groups real quick for the next three, four minutes, just pray, would you? Let's all turn together. Let's pray and ask God. I would ask that you specifically pray for Joel and Lorianne Matchek. He preached this morning in in a little village church and then preached online to his own church. Uh, bombings are still happening, things are still going on, the war is still in, but what a privilege for him to be able to stand in the pulpit on, in the middle of a war in his country and speak the word of God. Christians are uh, being scattered, but then they're bringing the word all over with them, encouraging people. God's using this right now, but would you just please pray for their protection? Let's, let's end it this way. Go ahead, please. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.